Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. A few days, no braid on my shoulder. Scotty, beat me up. This is Captain Kevin Thomas Riley of the Starship Enterprise. Fascinating. But can't change the laws of physics. No escape for you. Stand by to receive our transmission. Hello and welcome to show number six for the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. This is your host Rico and I'm pretty energized for this week's show. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I just said the word energized. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I've got uh, a lot to talk about. I've kind of gone back over the past shows and noticed that each show I'm getting progressively more long-winded and not really sure why that is maybe that i've had a little more to talk about maybe i'm getting a little more comfortable speaking into the microphone all by my lonesome here but um this week i'm gonna i'm gonna really my my goal is to try to keep these shows around 45 minutes or so not for any real particular reason but i feel like i can cover what i want to cover in that amount of time without getting a little uh carried away so to speak so that's that's my goal for this week, and and with that in mind, I'm going to get right into some uh, listener. I was about to say viewer, some listener email. So let me take a look here at what I've got in my inbox. Okay, I got uh, one email from a gentleman named Tom Strong. I'm not sure, Tom, if that's your real name. Uh, it's kind of a cool name. I think there's a comic book character called Tom Strong. But he just basically has uh, mentioned he's been listening to the podcast and enjoying the episodes, and I'm glad to have you listening. And before I actually get any further into the show, um, I just want to also say uh, welcome to anyone for the first time that might be listening to the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast or uh, any long-term, long-term, five shows or so I've done so far, long-term listeners out there. I want to uh, uh, thank you for, for continuing to download these shows and, and, and stay listening to the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm really having a lot of fun doing them. It's fun to look back through the old Star Trek episodes that I've been going through, pulling out little bits that I like to talk about on the shows. So it's actually, I, I find myself during the week just thinking about what I want to talk about for the coming show. So uh, it's, um, it's been great or it's been a lot of fun for me and uh, I'm really appreciating everyone that's listening to the show. Got another uh, email. Uh, I get one usually uh, every week, uh, maybe a couple from Morales. Uh, I'm, I'm goofing up your name again. Sorry about that. Um, Morales, that's, I think, closer. From Mexico, and he's a big Star Trek fan. We've, we've talked a little bit on Skype, and he's just uh, really enjoying talking about these previous shows. Uh, he mentioned something in last week's episode that I talked about, about Errand of Mercy and the look of the Klingons that I didn't really go deep into. It was basically um, it was basically talked about, or not really just talked about, but shown in the last season of Enterprise, which was just last year. Seems so long ago now. But uh, they did a, uh, I think it was a two-part, maybe even a three-part Klingon-type episodes. And the, the the bottom line of it is, is what the Klingons were trying to do was create kind of a race of super Klingons. They were basically working on gene genetic type manipulation. And what happened when they did that 
was that it actually made the Klingons look more human, look more like they look in the original Star Trek series through this um, this work that they were doing. And I don't want to really get into too too deep because, again, it'll cut into too much time on a lot of other stuff I want to talk about this week. But in the fourth season, they did they did talk about that. It was a result of some genetic manipulation that Klingons were working on, which created uh, some some Klingons that would look more human, but their natural, you know, normal-looking state for for uh, Klingons is to look with the bumpy heads like uh, Worf in Next Generation. So I hope that answers your question. Hopefully you'll get a chance to see those shows sometime. Also got an email from John. Uh, he's also known as Sentinel on the Extra Life forums, I believe, uh, saying that he's enjoying the shows also. And he sent me, actually, John sent me a little uh, audio clip because I had asked last week for uh, anyone to send in any other comments or any kind of little bit of audio that they would have to say about the, the coming show's Star Trek episode that I'm going to look at. And this week, we're, we're going to look at the episode The Naked Time. So John sent a little audio in. And I'm going to play that a little bit further in the show when I get to that point in the episode that I want to talk about what he comments on. So I'll hold off. But, but again, thanks for listening to the show, John. And I appreciate the audio that sent in. You're actually the only one that I got that uh, in any kind of an audio clip from, so definitely going to include it. Anybody else that uh, I will talk about at the end of the show, which next week's episode we're going to look at. And again, if you want to send in audio with your comments on the show, I'll, I'd be happy to include them in the uh, discussion. Got uh, another email from uh, John Hernandez, who also is enjoying listening to the podcast. He says he, uh, he really in- enjoys them and says, says uh, they sound good, doing a good job, he thinks. I appreciate that. And he also talks a little bit about my website, and uh, he offered actually to help a little bit with some of the design and, and some of the work. I think he says he does this either professional or maybe on the side. Well, um, frankly, the, the website, the treksf.com website that goes along with this podcast, along with some other things that I like to do, I I'm basically want to keep that under my own uh, wing and my own uh, work. I, I enjoy doing it, and it also it teaches me a little bit about doing things with uh, front page and, and just web design in general. It's certainly not the best site or probably not the worst site out there, but I, I'm enjoying doing it on my own, so I'm going to keep it that way. The one thing I did want to mention, though, on the show is this week I purchased a new domain, but the old domain is still active. The The new domain that I, I purchased, and this is mainly for you out there, Scott Johnson at Extra Life Radio, I, I purchased the domain treksinsci-fi.com. All one word, treksinsci-fi.com. That way, what I did with this domain now is it just redirects directly to treksf.com. That's still the main website. That's still the, the website for the podcast and everything else. But I purchased treksinsci-fi.com just as a redirect to make it a little simpler to uh, get to the show. If you type that into uh, your web browser, it should shoot you directly over to treksf.com. So that's enough about that, I think. Next, I'm going to talk a little bit about what is new in in science fiction, TV, movies, and that, just before uh, I get into the main topic of the Star Trek episode that I want to talk about for this week. Hey, everyone. This is Scott Johnson from the Extra Life Radio Show. You're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi with my friend Rico. OK, 
Okay, uh, not a lot about on uh, sci-fi TV movie news for me uh, this this week. I'm still watching uh, Surface, still liking that. I think I've talked about that a couple times. There's something I like about that show that's a little different than some of the other new sci-fi shows that are on. Invasion, I think I have mentioned before that I'm not really watching, although I heard that they just got picked up for a full season. But Surface, I, I like the ocean. I've always liked the water and the ocean, and this, this show deals a lot with that and creatures in you know, new types of life forms in the ocean. And they're not just like, it it isn't really basically an alien invasion show. At least it doesn't appear to be that way yet. It's basically there's these creatures they've discovered in the ocean that they've never seen before probably have always been here. They're not necessarily alien. And I like that idea a little bit more than than some of the other shows that I've uh, seen bits of. The I guess the other news in the movie scene is the Doom movie came out on Friday I've heard mixed things about the movie, which I'm not one to listen to uh, a lot of other reviews from professional movie critics. I listen to a few people that I kind of trust and we have similar tastes, and if they've seen something, I ask what their opinion is. But I'm planning on seeing the Doom movie. The game was, was a lot of fun and a lot of a lot of fun to uh, play and enjoyable. So I'm going to see it sometime, probably before next week's show. This isn't really so much a movie review sh- podcast, but I will see it, and I'll probably make a few comments on it next week on that. But uh, I think that's all I wanted to talk about on sci-fi or anything going on in the world of... Uh, there are some there are some slight talks about Star Trek going on. There are some little uh, hints of, of movie movement on a movie scene, but I'm not going to talk again much about that. It's all very, very preliminary, and we'll have to wait and see how that all works out. Of course, I do believe they'll have another movie at some point in time. Probably the last I heard would be in the year next, a year after next. So 2007 is is the target I've heard. So a long way away, a lot to still be worked out on that scene. But next we're going to get into this week's, one of this week's major topics that is the Star Trek episode discussion, which I am looking at the original Star Trek series again, of course, and the first season, one of the very early episodes called The Naked Time. Next coming up next after this preview from The Naked Time. Captain's log stardate 1704.2 planet Psi 2000. The science party we were to have picked up has been found dead. Could be some form of space madness we've never heard of. Question. Could what happened down there to those people create any unusual danger to this vessel and crew? <laughs> No escape for you. Have 14 minutes left. Even if we were under full-scale attack, I couldn't move any faster. Not maintain a safety factor. Can't afford a safety factor. Hey, Joey, put the knife down. You put it, Joey. You just get less wet about it. Spend a whole lifetime. Learning to hide my feelings. Okay, for again, I'll put a, just a slight disclaimer. Anyone who has not seen the episode, the original series Star Trek episode, The Naked Time, obviously, as I have in the previous podcast, I'm going to pretty much tear the episode down and apart in every which way. And I will be talking about everything that goes on in the show. So I don't want to spoil it for anyone. If you, if there are people out there that have never seen this, please watch the episode first. Grab a DVD, rent it or something. Borrow it from a friend like me and 
give it a look before you listen any further. With that said, uh, let's get into the episode. This is, again, and I, I think I've maybe said this every week because I'm sticking to, you know, my idea with this show is to stick to the Star Trek episodes, at least at first, that I would talk about that are that are my favorites. I am going to pull out a Spock's Brain review sometime, Just and it's really not that bad, but it's um, it's my intention, at least for, for a lot of these early shows and into the foreseeable future, to, to mainly talk about the episodes that I think are really good, that you can watch over and over again, and I still get a kick out of them. And The Naked Time is, is right in there, probably in my top ten uh, favorite Star Trek episodes of all time. And it's it's just got everything in this episode that you could want to see. A lot of the secondary characters get things to do. A lot of good interplay between the main three, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Not so much McCoy in this one, but definitely Kirk and Spock. So the premise, as many of you probably already know and who have seen this episode, is basically there's this planet called Psy 2000. The Enterprise is sent there to investigate uh, a colony that was on that planet, and they discovered that basically everyone has, is dead. The, this, it's all frozen over. Spock and another crew named, crewman named Tormolan beam down in these uh, cool-looking orange environmental suits, and they investigate what's going on. And it appears that, that these people died, and, and they died in unusual ways. Fully clothed people uh, taking a shower were dead. It just it, it wasn't like they were all in, in, a, in a sick bay area or that they were sick. They just looked like they basically just didn't care. They allowed the environmental systems there to break down or, or just, you know, not stay on, whatever it was. But it looks weird to Spock and Tormolan who beam down. Now, at one point in the beam down situation when they're down on the planet, when they're there, Tormolan gets like a itch on his nose and, you know, being the very well-trained Starfleet crew member that he is, he pulls off his glove, leans leans it or holds onto a uh, an area on on the planet, you know, his, his his fully exposed hand, and you see this you know kind of cheesy little effect of something getting on his hand. He scratches his nose, slips his glove back on, and then Spock says, "Okay, it's time to beam up," and he says like to Tormolan, "Oh, make sure you don't like expose yourself to anything down here." So. You have a uh, crewman now infected with something from this planet. And it becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly uh, back on the Enterprise, of course. They only have an hour-long show, less than that with commercials, that this uh, illness, disease, you know, situation is, is now starting to happen on the Enterprise. And I'm going to play the first clip here, or the next clip after the preview, is a little scene in, in the um, cafeteria, whatever you want to call it, where the uh, Sulu, uh, Kevin Riley, and Joe Tormolan are in there talking about uh, things. And you can hear in, in Joe Tormolan's voice that he's not quite uh, all right right now. You feeling all right? Get off me. You don't rank me and you don't have pointed ears, so just get off my neck. What's within? Nothing. Attention. Engine room on standby alert. All duty personnel to the bridge. Acknowledge. I, again, I had difficulty uh, deciding which clips to pull from this episode. Each of these little areas, I, I just wanted to record more and more of what I than than what I did because the the dialogue in this episode. I should probably say this episode is written. It's by uh, written by John John 
Black, who wrote a few Star Trek episodes, really good character-type episodes. And in this one, you really... It's just great the way they all interact with each other, what they're saying. You know, there's not really a word or two in this episode or in a lot of the Star Trek episodes, especially the first season of the original series. They don't waste words. I mean, everything they're saying is involved and key to the episode. And this scene really shows that, I think. So Joe is taken to sick bay. He's freaking out. He's acting goofy. He's he's letting it all hang out, basically. And things are not going well in the Enterprise. Crewmen start to act a little strange. And this disease is spreading. It gets spread real easily. All you have to do is basically touch somebody, and they get it. it it's just, it doesn't take much. So it quickly spreads through the crew of the Enterprise. And they're... Their assignment right now is to orbit this planet and watch it. It's going through this sort of decay and breakup, and they're supposed to get readings and stay in close orbit to make sure everything is, well, not make sure, um, collect data. They're there to collect data for Earth, for Starfleet, for the Federation on this situation on Psi 2000. But, of course, when they need everyone at their best and need everything going well and everyone on their toes people start to just go wacko so the next clip that i want to play is with kevin riley who is one of the probably my favorite of the secondary characters that really only show up in a few shows on star trek he's he's just great he's this irish guy he he does really well in this episode he was in another episode called the conscious of the king that i'll probably talk about in a future podcast but for the little bit that he gets to do in this episode, he just runs with it. He's great. He sings songs, and I, I really wish he would have stayed as a regular character. It's kind of it's kind of disappointing that he didn't get a chance to stick around longer on uh, the Enterprise. Now here's a clip with Kevin Riley and Mr. Spock on the bridge. You haven't answered my question. Where is Mr. Sulu? Have no fear, O'Reilly's here. And one Irishman is worth 10,000. You Mr. O'Reilly. Lieutenant Uhura, take over this station. Yes, sir. Now, that's what I like. Let the women work, too. Universal suffering. Report the sick bay, Mr. O'Reilly. Sick bay? Exactly where I was heading. Sir. Security. Mr. O'Reilly is headed for sick bay. See to it, he arrives. That's a... That's, that's just a lot of fun. You know, <laughs> he's just, he, he again, these, these crewmen are acting, and you'll find out later on the way it's explained is this disease basically causes everyone to become drunk. Spock ends up getting drunk. Kirk gets drunk. The whole crew gets drunk. And it's, and it's even more than drunk. You know, they're not, uh, they're not impaired in the way they, they move, the way they, you know, they're not stumbling around drunk. They're drunk in the fact that they everything is, is let loose. All their innermost thoughts, desires, needs, wants all come to the surface in in this episode. And the trick and the and the, the wonderful great thing about this show and what Gene Roddenberry did, this show was like the fourth, I think, fourth episode that was ever shown. They weren't filmed in, in exactly that order, but the bottom line of it is that this episode was shown very early in in the airing of Star Trek on television. And this show, with you know a nice little trick of science fiction thrown in, they get you to know the characters very quickly, very easily. You know, there are seasons of television out there, seasons even nowadays, 
of of TV that you don't knew, know the characters at all, even after seasons and seasons of showing them. You never get the kind of depth, the the information that they pull out just in this one episode of Star Trek, which which to me is is just great on how they do that. I mean, it's it's a neat little trick that they pull. They also did this in the first season of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Gene Roddenberry said, "Hey, it worked once." He did another episode, very similar circumstances with one of the early episodes. Actually, I think it was the second one aired of that series. I'd have to look again to make sure. But he showed or did a very similar episode on The Next Generation with Picard and crew called The Naked Now, where everyone basically also lets loose. But, you know, in comparing the two episodes, I don't think it it was as effective for one reason. I I think The Next Generation crew, now I love that series also. It's, It's a lot of fun, but they... They didn't have the dichotomy, the, the the differences in their characters that the crew of the original Enterprise on, on the original Star Trek series did. You know, you have Spock, who's this conflicted, you know, tries to hide his emotions, so he's very logical all the time. Kirk has always got this difficulty of, you know, what his life could have been versus how much the Enterprise pulls on him. The Next Generation crew, except for maybe Data... Uh, and, and a couple of the others, perhaps, but they were pretty much what they appeared to be. They, they were emotionally, you know, they uh, kind of a little, I guess, I don't want to say the word mature, but they had a lot more, they were a lot more together, I guess is what you what you want to say. And I think that's an era of the, or the, a sign of the times, you know, the next generation was late 80s, early 90s television series. This was a 1960s, the original Star Trek series, 1960s TV show. And that was a time of great conflict for a lot of people, you know, trying to find themselves. You know, there was the whole hippie movement. And uh, it's I don't want to get into that whole tangent, but the bottom I'm using the word bottom line a lot today. Oh, well, it's my word of the day. Um, what what the point is of this is that that era was people were not all together. People were not didn't know what to do they they had a lot of insecurities and this this is kind of shown in this episode a bit i got off on that section not sure exactly where i was going but that's my uh that's what i was trying to say all right moving along the next scene is a lot of fun that i was going to play a clip for i'm going to play first though john's uh, audio comment and that will lead into i will play right after that uh, a scene with sulu swashbuckler pirate sulu and here's uh, John Sentinel's uh, audio clip. Hey Rico, it's John from Ann Arbor. Wanted to say that I think you got a great show going here. For a Spartan, you're really putting in an A-plus effort. Uh, also, I enjoy the episode The Naked Time, but uh, primarily because it has George Takai shirtless wielding a sword. As far as the original series goes, it really doesn't get better than that. And now, the scene with Mr. Sulu with a sword. Stand. No father. <laughs> no escape for you. You either leave this war bloodied or with my blood on your swords. <laughs> I love that. Uh, it, it was a shame that they never had like a fencing tournament on the Enterprise or that uh, George Takei 
Mr. Sulu got a chance to uh, show off his uh, sword skills again. Here's an interesting little tidbit on that, and I've heard this George Takei at, at a convention, and it's been written in, in a couple of books and things. But he he basically, they ask him, they needed Sulu to do something. You know, he got the disease. They want to show some inner character trait of Mr. Sulu. And one of the uh, people on the show said, hey, can you can you fence? Do you know how to fence? And, and of course, George Takei, being a, a good actor, of course I can fence, he says to them. Well, he, he basically admits now, years later, that he had never picked up a sword in his life, had never had any kind of fencing training and any kind of a play that he did or any kind of an acting job or even for fun. So... The story goes, is in with just in a, a couple of days' time, he he had to learn to basically look like he knew what he was doing with a with a sword. And he goes to a he finds a, a fencing school and he actually takes a couple of quick lessons. Is I think the way the story went. I'm pretty sure that's what he said. But he knew nothing, and I think he pulls it off pretty well. Now I actually uh, here's a little side note on me personally. I actually took a fair amount of fencing and fenced in college, which. Um, which was a lot of fun, and actually, I'm I'm left-handed, which which was a, a unique thing because when you fence, there's there's a lot of differences when you fence left-handed against a right-handed opponent, and you know, typically, you know, most people are right-handed, right-handed against right-handed. It's like pitching in baseball, right-handed against right-handed works, but it throws off everyone's timing and edge if if you have the opposite hand, and this is true a lot in fencing. And I didn't again need to get into all that, but. I'm familiar with fencing, so in watching this episode, you know, his his feet are placed right. He's using the sword. Basically, it's a foil that he's using. Pretty typical fencing gear. Uh, I think he just does a great job with this, and I love it when he gets on the on the bridge with uh, Uhura, and, and she tries to sort of calm him down. And there's a prelude there to the Mirror Mirror episode, which is which is a neat thing they pick up on later in, in that episode in, in the second season, so... But uh, that's that's a good scene. The next uh, the next part I'm going to uh, talk about is there's a little quick exchange between Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock on the bridge where Mr. Spock's explaining what's going on with these crewmen, with Riley, with Tormolan, with Mr. Sulu, and what, what's happening. What he's he's noticing what's going on with the crew. So here's that clip with uh, Mr. Spock. Fascinating. A pattern is developing. First, Tormolan. Hidden personality traits being forced to the surface. Then Riley, who fancies himself a descendant of Irish kings. Now Sulu, who is at heart a swashbuckler out of your 18th century. So that we've, uh, I've described pretty much that whole thing anyway already about how they're they're all being, let, letting their innermost thoughts, desires, uh, abilities, whatever they, they really fancy themselves as come to the surface. Sulu's a swashbuckler. Uh, Riley's this this Irish singer, romancer kind of guy. Uh, Tormolan's really conflicted about being out in outer space, and all that's coming out. The next clip we're going to just kind of move along is a, just a quick exchange with uh, Mr. Riley and Captain Kirk. I really like this one. Take a listen. Knowledge. You rang, sir. Who's this? This is Captain Kevin Thomas Riley of the Starship Enterprise. And who is this? This is Captain Kirk. Get out of the engine room, navigator. Where's Mr. Scott? I've relieved Mr. Scott of his duties. And now, attention, cooks. This is your captain speaking. 
Yeah, that's a great, uh, great clip there. Uh, Mr. Riley, Kevin Riley, the navigator, has sealed himself into engineering, and he has basically taken control of the Enterprise. He turned the engines off. He's piping his songs all through the corridors of the ship. He's creating orders. You know, everyone's going to have ice cream tonight, and he talks about the women and the crew, and they're all going to start having to wear their hair just a little more loosely and not so all formal and tied up, and it's just it's a lot of fun he's 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 let all this go to his head and he's he's having a ball with it and he does a, a great job i mean there's there's just for for a secondary very secondary character he really comes off well and i i, I think it's just great that they pick somebody not like you know one of the main characters to do this i think it was more interesting to have somebody like a riley who you never really saw before this episode do something like you know take over the ship and he, he takes it over, and, and then they give, they've got to deal with it now. Well, he's locked in engineering, and then uh, Kirk and uh, Scotty, eventually, you know, Scotty, of course, can, can get his way back in there. So Scotty gets back into engineering. they got to save the ship. And then Scotty has some kind of bad news to give to the captain. What is it? He's turned the engines off. Completely cold. It'll take 30 minutes to regenerate them. Ship's outer skin is beginning to heat, Captain. Orbit plot shows we have about eight minutes left. Scotty, I can't change the laws of physics. I've got to have 30 minutes. A classic, classic situation with, uh, with Scotty. You know, he, he can't change the laws of physics, man. He's got to have 30 minutes. So it's just... It's just typical. It's 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 perfect, and I I shouldn't even use the word typical because the Naked Time was was again one of the very early episodes where a lot of these things happened. You know, Spock gives the the nerve pinch to uh, Mister Sulu on the bridge to knock him out. Kirk, there's even a quick little comment. You know, you got to teach that to me sometime. You know, and I th- that was the first time that was shown. It was not really the first time it was filmed. It was actually shown in the Enemy Within also. But um, that's a really a side note for now. So that's uh, that's the deal. There, uh, you know, the Enterprise it's got no power. It's spiraling down into Psi two thousand, and they're gonna basically burn up. You know, the the Enterprise with the transporter system and the Enterprise in the original series is not a uh, not an atmospheric vessel, unlike Voyager in one of the later Star Trek series. You know, where they were able to land on a planet, which they did occasionally. You know, they have a transporter, they have shuttlecraft on the Enterprise, but they don't they don't land on planets. The ship is not meant to do that, so it's picking up speed, it's spiraling into the planet as the gravitational changes and mass change on the planet. And unless they get some power going, they're they're dead. So again, a a normal situation or not really normal, but something that the Enterprise and Kirk and crew run into a few other times in the future, but this was probably the first time this kind of thing happened. The uh, the other thing at the towards the last maybe third or quarter of the episode that goes on is Mister Spock goes to see Nurse Chapel and he catches the disease as well. And let's uh, let's listen to how Kirk deals with Mister Spock, who has also caught the disease. My mother. I could never tell her I loved her. We've got four minutes, maybe five. An Earth woman. Living on a planet where love, emotion, 
Bad taste. We've got to risk a full power start. The engines were shut off. No time to regenerate. Do you hear me? We've got to risk a full power start. I respected my father, our customs. I was ashamed of my earth. Jim, when I feel friendship for you, I'm ashamed. You've got to hear me. We need a formula. We've got to risk implosion. Never been done. Understand, Jim. I spent a whole lifetime learning to hide my feelings. We've got to risk implosion. It's our only chance. It's never been done. Don't tell me that again, science officer. It's a theory. It's possible. We may go up into the biggest ball of fire since the last sun on these parts exploded, but we've got to take that one in 10,000 chance. Bridge to Captain. Engineer asked, did you find... Yes, I found Mr. Spock. I'm talking to Mr. Spock, you understand? There's a lot more there that I wanted to play again. There's great stuff from Leonard Nimoy in this episode. He does a, a wonderful job of dealing with, you know, losing control of his emotions again like he did in a muck time. He just, he just pulls it off, and it's amazing to me that he pulls it off as well with with the character of Mr. Spock being so early in the series. He really gets it. He really understands it. And what he's doing in this episode and, and did in the in other episodes uh, made and defined the whole Vulcan you know, race for the Star Trek series for episodes and episodes and series, multiple series later to come, although he didn't realize that at the time, of course. And then uh, of, when Kirk and Spock are smacking each other in the face trying to you know, snap each other out of it. Uh, Kirk, of course, catches the disease as well. Now, here's a little bit about, you learn a little bit more about Captain Kirk here. Here's this uh, piece of audio from the show. A beach to walk on. A few days, no braid on my shoulder. Captain. Scotty. Help. Stand by to intermix. I call the formula in from the bridge. Entering upper stratosphere, Captain. Skin temperature now 2170 degrees. I've got to hang on. Tell them. Clear the corridors. The turbo lift. So you find out that that Kirk has struggled um, for a long time with with the situation of the Enterprise is basically his his wife, his mistress, mistress, mistress. That's probably not the right word. He's the ship is his life. That is his life. No wife, no beach to walk on, nothing else. That that is his life now. You, you've learned over the years and over the episodes that that's the way he likes it. That's the way he wants it. It's his best destiny. That is what he is made for. He's just not the type to have a different type of job, have a wife and kids at home. That's that's just not him. And you learn a, a lot about that in the in the Wrath of Khan in the Star Trek II movie as well. But this is a lot of good stuff, again, with Kirk and Spock and learning a lot about their characters very early in the Star Trek series. 
And then there's – I'm not going to play it, I don't think. I had one other clip for the – what happens is the – they all snap out of it. Dr. McCoy, of course, creates a uh, an antidote for the problem, flips a uh, hypospray in everyone, everyone's back to normal. And they do create a – what's called – they call it a controlled implosion in the engines to pull them out of the planet. And when they do that, a little time warp actually starts to occur. They, they get sort of slingshotted away from the planet. And they notice their chronometer is running backward, and they're going back in time. And this episode, The Naked Time, was the first time a time travel, time warp situation happened with the Enterprise. And that is the start of, and one of the ways the Enterprise does in the future, travel in time. So that that actually happened in this episode. I think that's about it. A wonderful episode, The Naked Time. Please, if you haven't seen it in a while, check it out again. Uh, I think it's one of the best that they ever did, and there's a lot of good stuff in this in this show. And I think even people that aren't huge uh, Star Trek fans like myself will enjoy it greatly. Okay, on to the other part of the other main part of this podcast, which is the collectible discussion review section. Now, this week's collectible, not really exactly a collectible that I'm going to discuss, is a one of a kind item. This is, and there'll be pictures of this and a video clip, which I made a while back, and I don't think it's too large of a clip, so hopefully. You'll be able to download it and take a look, but is the item I'm going to be talking about now is Mr. Spock's uh, bridge station council piece of equipment that I myself built, oh, many, many years ago. Just to give you some history on that, and again, take a look at the pictures on the, on the podcast notes page. I'll have a link there with some video. Way, way back, oh, probably when I was in middle school, junior high to, to high school. This is back, just to give you a real rough idea of how old I am, uh, the era that this was in, Star Trek was only on in reruns on television. I'm talking about the original series. There was no Next Generation. There were no Star Trek movies. There were no videotapes. This is in the early days of Star Trek fandom. I never was, I wasn't old enough to really watch it when it was first on the air, but I caught it in reruns, and that's when I fell in love with the show and still enjoy it so much to this day. But at that time, there was nothing out there that you could buy for Star Trek. Uh, Star, you know, this is also pre Star Wars, so there, there was, you know, the, the collectible, the, the toys, the models, the, gadgets the props all that stuff you know the action figures nothing was out there was zero zip there were just a couple of books that started to get printed there were some novelizations of the original episodes and of the animated star trek series episodes and we're just talking about a a regular paperback size book and then there was a star trek technical manual that got put out which was just amazing to people like me because again there was nothing out there. 
Well, in looking at very small black and white photos in a couple of these books and, you know, examining the TV episodes over and over again, and let, <laughs> I, I even took a still camera, you know, no digital cameras back then, film, and we're just talking about an Instamatic basic camera, and I would take photographs of my television set playing old Star Trek episodes, reruns of Star Trek episodes of different, you know, scenes of the Enterprise, of the bridge, things like that. Now, if any of you have ever tried to take uh, a photograph off television with an older piece of, of camera equipment, it does not work very well, let me tell you. You get kind of an image on the screen if you catch it at the right moment in time, but you don't have any clarity, it's fuzzy, it's the color is muted, it, it does not work, basically. A digital camera these days, actually, you, you can take with a decent television set and a digital camera, you can take, actually, not a great picture off a of television, but hundreds of times better than I was able to do. So that that's kind of all beside the point. But let's just say I, I had very limited reference material to work off of, mostly my memory of, of the shows and what I had seen. No real dimensions, no real blueprints, even though a blueprint, sent of, a bl- blueprint set of the Enterprise eventually was put out. But it was all guesswork. Now, I'd always been kind of handy. I, I like woodworking, electronics, those kinds of things. And I just, I don't even know really how it got started. I mean, I, I tried to build some of the props and things out of, you know, things around lying around the house when I was growing up. And then I started to think to myself, hey, wouldn't it be cool to build, like, part of the Enterprise Bridge? And I just basically sketched it out. I thought about, okay, how can I make it look kind of like it does on the Enterprise? Now, of course, I I, I was roughly aware of how they did it. It was backlit. The bridge stations were with lights from behind, you know, frosted glass. And they were able to... I went to a Star Trek convention way back in the 70s in it was in toronto actually and they had a mock-up of the original series bridge there and it just floored me it amazed me that that somebody could build something like that with limited money you know i and and it was not um it looked good it was it would it would sort of light up and uh they used it as the backdrop for the stage for the actors to come out on and and that was one of my inspirations although i think i had started some of my projects before that but that kind of cemented it and, and made it clear to me that, I hey, I wanted to build something cool like that in uh, in my basement. So I would scrounge and scrape and find little bits of wood, plywood generally. The the pictures you'll see, that, that is uh, basically made out of plywood, the bridge station. And it is covered. I, I, I tried different techniques. And what I found that worked really good was basically uh, contact paper that is lined, uh, usually used for kitchen shelves. Contact paper, it pulls off, you know, most people are familiar with that. And it's sort of a vinyl sheeting with a, with a glue-like material, a glue material on the back of it. And w- with uh, the wood that I cut out in the plywood, I knew there's no way I can paint that black and make it look halfway decent. You'll see all the wood grain, and it'll look kind of cheesy, uh, even more so maybe than it ended up, although I don't think it looks cheesy. But... So I, I said, I don't know, again, these little things just would, I'd see something, i go, hey, I could build the, something out of this or I could use it for this function. And basically I found some really good sort of dull gloss, not real shiny black, but about the right shade of black 
for the main uh, covering of the Star Trek panel, the bridge, uh, the Spock station that I built. And the I, uh, I would go up into our garage and I would find old Christmas lights. And the next year at Christmas, a lot of the Christmas lights just would be missing. And oh, I think my mom knew where they were going. But uh, I would take those lights and I would rig them up in the back of these panels. And I would put little switches to create different uh, effects. I think I had four or five different different sets of lights to light the main uh, visual panels with the little blinky lights. And I created a, a sort of a box holder for behind those screens with individual little sections all glued in that the lights would all, so they wouldn't bleed into each other, although there is some bleeding of light. And I, I spent, let's just say, uh, with, uh, with just a small saber saw, some plywood, some contact paper, Christmas lights... Oh, there was a friend that worked at a police station that had some flashing lights that I that he said they weren't using anymore. And I actually, basically, everyone started to sort of sort of find out any family members or friends that I did this kind of stuff. And if they had any little gadgets or electronic junk, it would basically make its way to me. And I would usually find some way to use it in some capacity. Like I said, I mean, how many Star Trek panels that are built that, any, that anyone's built out there? And I know there are people that build some of these things and. Gosh, some of the productions that people are doing for internet Star Trek films these days are just amazing. They're they're wonderful. I'd love to be able to help and work on some of those. So unfortunately, where I live, uh, there aren't those productions are usually out on the West Coast or East Coast, and I'm not really in those areas. But so I uh, I took it upon myself to to do this, and it was basically just me um, putting all this stuff together. My brother had helped me a little bit. With some of the uh, wiring, I, I even have, I, I remember, uh, you know, we, we blew a lot of fuses. Uh, <laughs> I learned a lot, though, in doing it. I mean, I, I was in uh, middle school, like I said, high school, doing this kind of stuff. I guess it kept me off the streets, but uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I learned a lot, and it was, it was stuff that basically allowed me to do things. Like, I, I have a finished basement in my house now currently, that I did all myself. I mean, I finished everything. I put in multiple lights, recessed lights. Uh, I have lights that come on when you come down my stairs with when closets open. So a lot of these things I, I did when I was playing around as a kid building Star Trek panels and my own little phasers were things that I was able to use later in life in order to uh, to build a nice home to live in. So it's it was not wasted time, and and it was a lot of fun. It was it was my way of dealing with that there was no stuff out there you could buy, and I didn't have any money anyway to buy it, even if there was. I mean, the kind of things that I can collect and props and replicas that I've talked about in previous weeks and will continue to collect. I mean, those things. Well, one, it would have just my jaw would have been on the floor if any of that stuff was available back then. But the other, it would have probably been worse because I had no money to buy those kind of things then. I didn't have a job. Uh, the little bit I could scrounge up cutting grass, and, you know, I had a job at one point washing dishes when I was in high school and that at a local restaurant. Um, I would go to the Radio Shack. I would go to stores and buy what I could with those. I'd build models. I would light the models, and, and it was um, – but, again, I didn't have – even if there was merchandise out there, I didn't have the money to buy it then. So it was kind of, uh, kind of fortuitous and good that it wasn't available. But – there's a lot more in the Star Trek panel that I could really talk about. I mean, there were so many little things that I had to get past and figure out how to do. One little area that I'm proud of on the panel is I created the ability. There's a ship display on there, and I have a uh, 
it's kind of a Xerox, uh, a negative almost of a, of a ship, and I can slide a, a different image of a ship in and out of that area. And then what I do is I backlight it. But I, I created a backlight system that will change color depending if I flip another switch when you're on, like, red alert. It'll change from a white backlighted ship to a red backlighted ship. And I used a light sensor inside the panel to create that effect. Basically, when the white light was on, the sensor was engaged, so the red light wouldn't be on. And when you would flip another switch, that, that would be reversed. I'm probably not explaining that quite right, but it was a... Um, Let's just say my way of, of wiring electronics and doing those kind of things is probably not the, the typical or more approved normal way that that would be done. But it was, um, I had a lot of fun doing it. It was really great. If anyone has any questions about the panel, the Star Trek panel, the Spock bridge station, I even have a little fan device in that circular area on the panel that would spin to create that whirly effect on Spock station. That's called a moire. It's also on the Star Trek communicators. I was never able to really achieve that properly with the uh, equipment and, and the stuff that I had at the time to do it. So, hey, I, uh, I'm starting to notice I'm, I'm way, uh, I'm, even with my great uh, hopes and dreams of keeping this podcast under uh, 45 minutes, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm, I'm getting long-winded here again. I just want to wrap it up. Um, but anyway, that's the Star Trek panel. Give you a little background on that. I could talk a lot more. But the um, the show now is uh, long enough, so I'm going to end it. This is Rico again. I want to just say thanks for listening once more. The way to contact me is the email for the show is treksf at gmail.com. Again, the website is www.treksf.com or www treksinsci-fi.com. This is your host, Rico, signing off for this week's podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and keep watching those old Star Trek episodes. Oh, next week, we're going to talk about um, the episode Cat's Paw. This is from the second season of the original series. So we're going to talk about Cat's Paw. And the collectible that we're going to talk about, actually, I'm going to talk about a something a little different. I'm going to talk about something from the movie Alien. It's a. It's also by Master Replicas. It's the alien uh, tracker locator that they used in that movie that Master Replicas made an awesome replica of a year or so ago. So we're going to talk about Cat's Paw and the alien tracker from Master Replicas. Again, if you want to send some audio clips or comments about the Cat's Paw episode, please send them in, and I'll play them on next week's show. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been a Rick Dosti production. 